and welcome to another episode of Anatomical Precision. I'm your host, Mike Klein, and with me tonight, Chris Schlegel, Richard Pacifico. All right. So let's see, what do we have on the docket tonight, boys? What are we going to talk about, Chris? Uh, looks like we're going to talk about forks in Guild Ball and also identifying your play style and the differences they, that can make. Excellent. And we also have a ton of questions, uh, not just from the dungeon, so we have to rename our segment to something boring, like questions. Um yes because we're not original. That's it. Uh, so when we were talking about forks and go ball, we are not talking about um, fork silverware. We are talking forks as in chess. Damn it, uh, but before excited. we get to that, I know, me too. Uh, but bo- both are good. So let's let's check in, guys. Any recent games, recent things, you know, hobby, etc., go ball related? Yeah, um, I'm actually, I've competed in a tournament a couple weeks ago as Rats, took fourth place, um, lost to Antonio Menendez, um, but that was a good time. There's some details I might go into later during the question segment, uh, and also there's uh, news that I was going to say there is a tournament in Columbus, uh, June 30th tournament in Louisville on July 14th and then I'm hosting a tournament here in Cincinnati on July 21st whoa yeah I do pundit things every now and then occasionally apparently nice (laughs) Uh, Rich I would ask if you had any recent games but I know you did not yeah, I, I with uh, summer here, my schedule gets a little crazy. So there was a tournament, I think a week ago or two weeks ago, um, but I had to work, so I couldn't make it. I plan to make the next one, which is probably going to be next month, because you know everything slows down. So hopefully, I'll get to get some games, mm-hmm. and then I do have mm-hmm. except for the next paint. The next tournament is actually this Saturday because I'm going to it. Uh, you won't be going because you're a scrub. I'm also working. Um, that's what I that's what I said. Um, yeah, so there's a there's a local tournament. Well, now, it's interesting. So I've officially told the Long Island guys that I am now officially part of their meta, despite being uh, about 50 miles away um, from the game store itself out there on the tip of Long Island, um, because our local gaming club has uh is closing down at the end of the month um i guess that's what happens when it's somebody's house and they actually need their house to do house things uh it will still be open for events but not on a day-to-day like a weekday basis so um yeah i i'm a long island guy (laughs) we'll have to we'll also have to find somewhere else i mean we could still do some events but we might have to find somewhere else for for the people in New York City, it's hard. There's really not a... There's a gaming store in downtown Brooklyn that's not open that late. There's one on the Upper West Side that's owned by the same people, so I imagine it's also not open that late. Uh, there's the one in the in, by the Empire State Building that's only open on Thursdays for gaming. 
and then the rest, the only other couple of places just do card games, and yeah, they're really small. Uh, well, they, yeah, that's the thing. They're all small. Like, there's not enough room for a tournament. Well, for, there's not enough real <laughs> even for, for a tournament table. Some, uh, yeah, there's not even enough room at ta- for a table in one or two of them. Yeah, like so a, a a full three by three or four by four table. It's it's pretty bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we'll manage. I mean, I can always drive out to Long Island. That's not that bad. And it's not like I get that many games during the week anyway because I work decently late um, from work. And it's, you know, a decent trip from commute for me anyway. So I, I guess uh, that's my drive to Queens and then you're driving to Long Island. Then. Uh, yeah, basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm going to do... I've had some local games i won well i'm i'm really uh the long island meta is getting really i mean they have their own podcast uh and they're really getting into the games and it's, it's a good sized group of people and they're all young and college so they can play a million times it's great i actually one of the i went right after the wedding uh on monday the monday after and played some games and lost three out of the four games that i played um two of them were because i was playing engineers and i actually don't like playing engineers anymore <laughs> um, i told you yeah uh yeah so they could talk more about that but yeah I, well actually when it comes to play style i think it will come that the, my play style is now has changed a little bit it probably doesn't fit the engineers optimally anymore so i don't know if i can do them justice so um yeah that that's me for recent games. Uh, there is a tournament coming up on um, July twenty first down in uh, Ash uh, Asheville area called the Southeastern Team Championship, and I'm not a hundred percent confirmed yet. Um, but I may. I am trying to convince Jared McGraw and Frank Comitis, my WTC team to all go down. I had a sp- invitation for one of the one of the teams with uh, my buddy John Stokes, but um, if I were to go down, I would have I would have to drive and for me to drive down, I needed people in the car with me. So, Wait, I figured I'd this? bring and it's July 21st. All right, we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we well, I mean, we could talk about it, but the issue is it was I had one spot on his team. Or I needed to have my own team. So um, if you can, if you can, maybe if you can fill their spot, or if we can see find, get you a spot, then you can drive down too. But we'll yeah, yeah. we'll talk more. Yeah, we'll 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 see if we can find you a spot. Sweet. Yeah, because I'm not making that drive uh, myself. <laughs> it won't happen. <laughs> but I do have I do have the time off, so it's like uh, it's my summer it's my summer month before I go back to back to school or back to you know work at a school um so would love to take advantage of it all righty moving on let's talk forks in guild ball why i this is my topic so i guess uh i will kind of talk about why why it's I, it was on my mind um so start us off. What is uh, what for is those a fork? Who don't play yes. twerk. Yeah, I guess for those of us like Chris who needed, I needed to tell the Google what a fork is. Um, prior to this conversation, a fork in chess 
refers to, and I may not be uh, getting the technical definition correct, but basically it is when one of your pieces threatens two enemy pieces simultaneously. Um, and the idea is in chess, since you can only, like in Guild Ball and similarly, you can only really move one piece at a time. So if your you know, bishop is threatening a knight and um, a pawn, and your opponent can only move one of those pieces, if he can't figure out a way that defends both of those pieces simultaneously, he will you will get the piece for free, right? So it's basically the idea of forcing your opponent to choose between two bad decisions, uh, or at the least two suboptimal decisions. Uh, and it's you know, very basic chess technique. Um, and actually, there's, there's related uh, chess tactics that kind of function off of similar... Uh, the similar premise uh, with different like applications based on the way that chess pieces move. There's also like a pin, which is where you have a piece um, of lower value that is in front of a piece of higher value that your piece is threatening. So let's say you imagine you have a bishop and there is uh, a pawn or another piece in the way, but if that pawn or other piece were to ever move, um, then you would be able to get the piece behind it. So you're basically, again, you're threatening two pieces at once, kind of. You're not actually threatening the second piece, actually. But if that piece were, if the other piece were to move out of the way, you now would be threatening that piece. And then there's also a skewer, which is basically the same thing as a pin, but it's the exact opposite direction. So the, you threaten the high-value piece, and the, there's another piece behind it that if the high-value piece is forced to move, would also be threatened. Um, again, all functioning off the idea of threatening multiple things at once and forcing an opponent to make a suboptimal or uh, choose between bad decisions. So, let's talk about how does this impact Guild Ball. Um, I'm throwing it to you guys, have you ever either experienced a situation where you felt like you guys were forked uh, or you had forked your opponents and forcing... Uh, a bad decision and then maybe explain like what it what the board state looked like or you know to your best memory i think um one of the initial examples uh i kind of have a question for you actually in relation to that does it have to necessarily be one model uh threatening two models or could it be in guild ball since things are a little more fluid in that way there's you could have two models threatening two different models and now your opponent has to choose between which one's going to die now you you cover yeah uh, so while i don't think that would necessarily meet technically the um gil, the chess definition of a fork that does go i yes in guild ball that certainly does meet our definition um, yeah re- think, uh, fork. same results more or less yeah, so I think one of the most yeah. I think one of the most common ones there is like you've got two models threatening a takeout at the be- uh, beginning of a turn, but you lost uh, your you lost first activation, so your opponent got their first activation, but now they have to choose between which of these two models is going to die. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think yeah. that one's a common theme in 
terms of what comes up in my gameplays. Yeah, and now I and I think that's a great yeah that's a great op, uh, common option. Another one is having the ball in a you know putting the ball into a position where you can score um, at the top of a turn and uh, you know, or or whenever you know whenever the ball is locked and loaded and a goal is ready to go once you have the resources to do so um, and then also threatening a takeout uh, of some sorts somewhere else on the field or even nearby so you kind of create this situation where let's say for example you know your mist is in cover um you know ends a turn in cover halfway up the board in threat range to charge an opponent's model who has the ball take it off of them um you know maybe dodge and get the and then get the goal um at the same time you on the different spot you've set up you know you've knocked down their captain and you have a crowd out and your captain or a player is ready to go and take them out um obviously if you have first turn this you know actually you, you can work either way so let's say you do have the first turn on this one you could go and maybe the for your first turn activation is the knockdown and the setup from one of your models and now you're threatening like okay you can respond you can move your model out of the way um, for your sorry, you can move your your model that has the ball out of the way, and maybe I won't be able to get a goal, or it won't be as easy. But now I'm gonna go kill your captain. On the other hand, um, maybe you know if they try to figure out what's going, you know, fix uh, save their captain. Now you have the goal, um, and ideally, maybe even that threat to the captain isn't a hundred percent gone. You know what I'm saying? But like even so, even if they fix. If they save their captain and get them out of danger, then you now now you get the goal, uh, and you've get and actually in that situation specifically you've now gained the resources because maybe you knocked them down and generated some momentum, and now all you need is the tackle from Mist and they could just shoot the goal. So, um, can happen either you know even if you're going first or going second. A lot of times if you are going second in a turn. Um, or it just happens midway through a turn, uh, you will see these situations. So throwing it back, any other, like any specific example you guys have seen um, that ha- that either happens frequently in your games or you memorable uh, instances of a fork? I think I think it, it really depends on what you can do based on the, on the team you, you play. Um, whereas you, know, you might have better options um, trying to get a goal if you're a fish player or something like that and you'll have a better time go you know forking with uh, takeouts if you're a brewers player or something like that so i think it really depends on on what team you play um if somebody you if chris you want to go on and i can come back to it oh yeah sure um i think with your fish fish example you could kind of fork with two models by threatening areas of the board so that way when they do their goal kick then there's not really a great spot to pick um then there's obviously your things like a tap or top of the turn with multiple things in the throw range i think i think really the big issue is you want to have a larger threat range so that you're not when you're threatening two models at once you're kind of 
you have to have a big enough threat range to actually do that without being overexposed yourself. So sure, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Um, can I actually can I jump back to the fish example because I think it's really interesting. I want to see what you guys think. I actually think fish do something often, and of course, there's a little bit different. But let's say a shark fish team. Actually, I think they they do not necessarily um, do a fork, and I'm actually going to forget the chess term um, right now. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to look it up while so somebody stall for me. Oh, great! Good, great timing. When so it's when so when no no when two pieces threaten a single model. Um, that is something different than a fork. And I used to know this because I used to actually be really uh, good at chess, but I absolutely do not remember anymore. Um, and if there isn't, I'm, I'm almost positive there's a, a term for it. But anyway, the idea is I think fish often do the opposite. They don't necessarily threaten two models, but they threaten one model in two different ways. And they do that most commonly by... Your model has the ball, right? Uh, the enemy team model has the ball, and you have the two. You have multiple fish strikers, and it's kind of like a wherever they move the ball. If they move the ball away from one, they now move into threat range of the other. Or if they drop the ball so that uh, siren can't get them, now it's easy for shark to dodge in and grab the ball and then score. So they actually do. Uh, I think they let at least shark fish teams like goal and, and then really any goal storing team that's going basically for the three O um, does a lot less of the threatening two different pieces with one uh, model or even with two models, but rather they usually do the opposite where they threaten. Um, excuse me. They threaten two. Uh, sorry. They threaten one model or w- the ball, one thing with two different models. By the way, you don't mean like discovered attack, right? On your no, no. Okay, so then the only other thing I, I can imagine it was is like a German word, like Zugzwang or something like that. But I'm not sure. Well, so no, that's that's when you, if you could pass, uh, you would pass and you'd be okay. <laughs> but any move that you make makes your position worse. I mean, yes, that situation could that could be the relevant like you're you're safe but you have to do something with the ball eventually and anything you do with the ball will end up making it worse for uh the fish but i don't know that that's not what i was talking about specifically got it Um, so i think one of the most uh egregious examples in guild ball history would be the um original chisel missile okay for a fork uh, well, in, in Season 2, there was a tactic people had called the Chisel Missile, which was you would give a uh, Chisel a um, second activation through Superior Strategy and Second Wind, and she would threaten almost the entire board with uh, Takeout, pretty much. So she would threaten almost your whole team and you kind of just had to... So she forked you every which way. <laughs> Sorry, I, I tried to meet that. <laughs> Go on, chisel missile. I mean, that pretty much explained it. You, I sneezed on the to, last part, so I, I missed it. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Well, basically, she was able to threaten multiple models at once. 
and you just, just had to wait just... for her to. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, choose yeah. who to kill at the end of the turn. Um, I mean, and I think you're talking about just the extreme threat range, especially with a model who's like activating last. And like a great example of this is in the first turn, and you know, pre-nerf and actually even post-nerf Thresher is kind of still like this. Um, he is able to threat so far, uh, quite far on the board, and in many situations he kind of makes it. Although technically, you know, you can just have every model stay out of his threat range. Realistically, that could be really hard um, to do. And he kind of, he almost threatens, he does, he threatens spaces on the board. Um, and he makes it so, like, any model, you know, he can put it so that you can't put models in certain places. Otherwise, he's going to threaten them. Not exactly the same as um, forking, but kind of a similar principle. Um so different teams definitely do this in different ways that we were talking about fish like a, a scoring team um or goal focused team will tend to threaten the ball multiple ways so do actually the opposite while um you know a mixed or a fighting team will potentially threaten you know a team the classic team with a bunch of fighting models and then one good striker might threaten the opposite way where they they threaten a goal and a kill or just two kills in two different areas um so we know what a fork is we know why it's useful obviously um you're basically forcing your opponent to choose between two results that advance your you know your gameplay advance your win condition how do we set these up other than them occurring accidentally um and noticing them how do you purposefully play and can you purposely play towards setting up these situations what do you guys i have some thoughts on this but i want to hear what you guys think so how do you set up forks or like what would be what are things you might consider if you're trying to set up a fork i think with corsair i can think of uh i'll typically go with a dragon one person and then have them knocked down at the beginning of turn and then i can have a if they have another person in range then i can easily threaten to drag the other person in if they don't allocate to the person that is in front of corsair to force me to kill that person um another example is in uh rats is just like having a fight over in one spot with the disease crew and then on the edge of the board you have piper ready to dropkick somebody off mm-hmm. meanwhile also you kind of also have the threat of reverie if you have the ball still okay any thoughts rich anything to yeah. add uh so um, usually typically what i do is i i need to try if i want to set up a fork i need to try to end my turn in a good position and up on momentum um really the only thing that i could think of is uh if I play, you know, the only two teams that I really play more is Brewers and Farmers. And that's where, you know, you want to end up with Tapper beating on somebody in the midfield and be up on momentum to try to win the first um, first activation next turn. Or, you know, have uh, Thresher in a good spot to don't fear the engine, again, beating on people uh, upfield. That's that's about, like, the best way that I can I can do it. But that's what's really important to me, is I need to be up on momentum, and I need to have the last activation. And okay. so something 
you mentioned that was really important. I, I mean, I think wait, Mike, have your mic up. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. It fix itself. Better now. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Um, apparently, apparently, these gentlemen can't hear my mic at times. Although I, I know it is recording decently well. Um, that's okay. Just a little peek behind the curtain. Anyway, uh, <laughs> what? Yeah, and at the podcast of audio problems. Um, <laughs> So what you were saying was, you know, being up on momentum and being in a good position. Uh, but you had mentioned turns, and I actually want to. And th this isn't a necessarily a novel concept, but the idea of playing for the next turn and specifically playing for the turn boundaries is a huge part of setting up forks. And I think it's really what makes a lot of it possible. Um, you can, you know, since every model has one activation. Um, really the only way to, I mean, the, the main way to set up a fork in the middle of a turn is to either increase the threat range of one of your models through a buff of some sort that, uh, that now makes them able to, you know, threaten two models, uh, or to pass to them, um, or to push an enemy model into threat range. So now that your model is threatening, uh, two, two pieces, so those are options to do it in the middle of the turn, but I think one of the best ways to set up forks is to make moves, especially with models that may not be doing something too much, particularly on one turn, moving them into positions um, and setting up your positioning for the next turn so that you are in threat range um, and you have multiple models or one model in threat range of multiple models to do um, certain things. One of the best examples um, that I can think of and I'm going to be for my own games personally uh, and I'm going to be a little fuzzy on the exact details but uh, I remember distinctly having an engineer's game where I set up a fork so that if uh I had anticipated my opponent was going to kill compound, uh, and by doing so, that would he, he would explode and three damage and poison, um, and then another two damage at the beginning of the turn barrier went on to two of my opponent's models, and from that, uh, those models would have been in the kill range. So what I did was, towards the bottom of the turn, advanced um, one of my models. Uh, I think it was it was probably Ballista or Gutter, I guess. Um, probably Ballista, though. Into into range, into charge range of either model. Um, not, and I actually specifically didn't go do work elsewhere, which you know I had been planning to do, but like made a, a detour to move Ballista over and maybe fire a Death Bolt or, or even Second Windom or something like that to get him in position. So. The big, it would be the next turn, and my opponent was going to 100% win the uh, initiative roll. But he had both Harry and Rage, uh, and could not save both of them. And I believe I was at 10 points. I very much could be misremembering this. But uh, either way, it was just a big advantage for me, because they couldn't save both models. Um, and in fact, in trying to save one of the models, um, probably cost them... The, the game so like positioning especially towards the bottom of a turn your models so that they will be threatening two models next turn 
is, uh, I mean, the most simple and straightforward way to uh, hit a fork. And it could be a, a challenging thing to do, especially if you have to make, like, a sacrifice in that turn's activation. Like, if you have to give up, you really want to go and kill this model, but that model is way off on the edge, and then you're gonna, your model's not going to be able to do anything the next turn. Maybe instead of killing that model, if it's not, you know, the absolutely necessary, is you do something else with that influence and threaten two models for next turn um, and keep your model more relevant for future turns. So it's kind of the idea of playing to future turns. What are your guys' uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, going back, I think there are certain teams, the Union especially, that, that can set up forks midterm. Uh, sorry, yeah, midterm, like with uh, Benediction Gutter, because they have a lot of range and, and pushes. And I think they're one of the best teams that can do a fork midterm. Uh, mid, uh, midterm. I think uh, I thought of this one. Devana, I feel like, is all about forks because you have a Harrier AoE over on one person, you have a Harrier AoE on another person. They can try and move those models out or they can accept their fate and leave them in. But either way, Devana could still move the Harrier AoEs towards them and threatening multiple models at the same time by basically threatening anywhere where the two AOEs could overlap within seven inches. Because then she could do her whole legendary play, blow up somebody with a, you know, small wind. Yeah, so actually, I mean, I I agree with you 100%. uh, I think when we had talked about Devon and I was talking about why it was really, her ability was so good, was exactly that concept of forking. You can put out, if you can get three Harriers out in a turn, she, and those Harriers, maybe, you know, they're on a model, but as long as, yes, if that model is already activated and stuck there, that's great. But even if the model moves, they she can reposition them. Now, if you can have two models that are in, uh, within the range for her to reposition those AOEs, uh, which is, as you know, pretty far apart, uh you have now kind of forked your opponent. They have to find a way to move both of the models out before Devana goes. Um, Obviously, there might be some advantages if Frelsi is in range to get, you know, dodged into one of them, but not the other one, then obviously they'll try to move that one. Um, But still, you're forcing bad, potentially bad decisions on your opponent. Um, So I think that's really, it's really powerful. Uh, Her team kind of functions off of of those forks. Excellent. Anything, any closing thoughts? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I, I you should probably... A good place. Yeah, you should probably just aim to set these up as much as possible, as long as it's not going to actually hinder you somehow. But... Yeah. yeah. It, well, it's just a go good ahead. decision to, like, force your opponent into making a choice when it's not... It's neither one's a really good choice. You need to try and do that. <laughs> well, yeah, and at, and at a high level, if you're not setting up forks, you're really relying on your opponent to make mistakes, or you're relying on situations where, like, uh, you threaten one model, but there's literally no good option for them to get out. Like, obviously, if like you have a knockdown model in melee, and 
you know, a, with your two-inch melee model and they have one-inch melee and they have no momentum, then there's really not a ton they can do to get that model you know, out of threat. Um, but in most situations, if you're just you know, setting up a singular threat, you're not forking and not setting up meaningful threats on multiple models, a smart opponent will just say, oh, you're doing all this stuff to kill, you know, chisel this turn or kill whatever model this turn. Cool, I'm going to activate that model, maybe take a suboptimal activation, but I'm going to move it out of the out of range, or I'm going to protect it somehow, and now you can't do the things that you want to do when all your turn and influence has been either wasted or marginalized. So um, I think this is a, a big key. I'll say a lot of beginner players, like, they have a plan, and they want to follow through that plan, and they have their one model ready and set up to go, and then if I just don't let them do that plan like if you if yeah. their effort if effort is made to stop that plan one way or another um with all the inter- you know, activations that might be in between then it's kind of like a oh well now what do i do with this influence <laughs> um so setting up forks and making it so that your models can do multiple things it really is a, a key to being successful at a at a competitive level in my opinion, I'd agree. Yeah, no, you're definitely correct. All right, let's move on. Next topic: playstyle. Right, so, you want to? Yes. Set us up. All right. So, in the discussion of the newly re- revealed uh, Vet Sicana, there is a lot of disagreement over which one is better and which one is better in certain situations. Also. Because there's a lot of people who do accept that both are good, as they probably should. Like me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like me as well. I mean, they're both very good models. Um, I don't know. You you seem you seem like a pretty big Vet Sakana fanboy. Oh, I am. And that brings me to the point: is there's playstyle differences among every player. Nobody really, I mean, like, we can play very similar games as each other, but there's going to be ultimately those decision factors somewhere in the brain. I don't know how that works. You're the psychology dude. That pretty much, uh, like, you're going you're gonna to see, like, uh, so Vesicana, in my opinion, is a really nice toolbox. He has a couple different jobs that he can do very well. And opposed to that is original Sakana, who does a couple different jobs pretty well, but does one job very efficiently, and that's uh, going and taking the ball and then striking it in. So, for me, I've always I'm I'm in favor of Vet Sakana right now because I tend to favor those toolbox characters. It's uh, I feel like every time I put, win against a exceptionally good player it's by using utilizing some tool that has a very niche use but by god it's this this damn turn is going to be the turn that i need it and that's when it wins me the game so i am a player who uh, by looking into this i'm a player who likes to utilize these toolbox characters and go for these sometimes very low odds plays and I think an important first step in Guild Ball is recognizing 
how you play and what kind of these what habits you make in order to either correct them to a better habit if it's just straight bad play or to accept your uh, faults and work with them in a way that will like highlight your strengths and you know hide your weaknesses so to say so chris how does like so you've kind of identified your play style and evaluated a little bit how does that impact how would you say that's impact how you approach um picking a guild and how you just i guess approach going into your games like uh, knowing your play style how does that affect does or does it affect how you approach um going into a matchup in a tournament i think the biggest impact of it is it affects your roster your 10 especially now when guilds are getting like 13 to 15 models a piece i don't have a good count right now but they're with all these exiles and faithful and stuff you know they're starting to add up so you're not able to fit all these models and binary guilds as well like, you're not able to fit all these models in a roster. So you have to be able to choose which ones are going to benefit you. You're not going to just going to, like... For example, with me, Gutter does not fit how I play at all. So I've not really used her in Fish. Despite, like, a lot of people being really big on her. So I have a question for you, because I'm not a Fish player. I think I've played Fish twice in, like, the two to three years I've been playing Gilball. How do you use Sakana? How do I use Sakana? Which one? Uh, well, regular, <laughs> I guess assuming, original. Uh, yeah, assuming that you haven't played with Vet yet because he just was T- released. Yeah. Typically, I'll... Not even. I mean, one of the typical things I'll do is I'll park him in cover somewhere, and from there he is now threatening to steal a ball that is within 12 inches and score it on 3 influence or 10 inches for 2 influence. So he's just a very efficient striker, and in the in a rare occurrence when it actually fits my play, I can throw a weak point actively on something, or I can throw a weak point using a counterattack to buff up Corsair's damage. Okay, and you do you feel that so how so how do you feel that veteran plays? How do you feel that that uh, differs from that? I mean, besides, like, the weak point. So, in this scenario, he has, in order to get this, uh, the same speed as original Sakana, you have to aim to... Real real quickly, just for anybody who hasn't seen, we're not going to run through his card, so go check the Steamforge blog if you haven't seen that Vet Sakana is a card, and he had a new card uh, being released in the Faithful box, and he has some cool rules. So take your break do 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 read it come back all right go ahead chris okay so in order to get the speed of original sakana uh you have to kind of start your activation engaging an enemy model so instead of parking him in cover you kind of want to park him near corsair or i guess in a shark list you just don't park him anywhere unless somebody just comes into you so And even if you do that, that's going to cost you an influence as opposed to the other ones. As opposed to Sakana Original, 
who just instantly bursts out of shadows and goes ninja on people. Um, also, the new one has a higher damage cap himself, so he's able to be in be a late activation kill instead of being early activation set up for Corsair kills. And also he has a the benefit of being able to steal off of, like if you're trying to protect the ball through high defenses or high armor, he can attack anybody else in range of about six or seven inches um, and get that fancy footwork ranged range tackle off okay got it that part mm. i figured out it was really more some some of the other stuff on the card and i guess the the influence losses are really, really affect them because he has bag of coffers so right it's it's effectively the same influence it's a little bit more flexible again with the uh toolbox thing he can flex give the blind uh, give the influence to tentacles on reaction in order for tentacles to blind and bonus time it after you find out that your opponent has given influence to somebody who tentacles can actually roll a die on. So two die. Two dice. In this case. Yes. Um, two dice. Um, okay, go ahead. So anyway, yeah, that all goes into the playstyle differences of, you know, you're gonna have some people who really favor just straightforward and efficient characters versus a lot of different niche plays. Mm-hmm. And there's and I think, several I think other. That's, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's only one aspect. I was going to say, I think that's only one aspect of play style. Um, I don't think that's... And, and I think it's a really hard thing to accurately and meaningfully like put in the categories or describe. Um, and I think we kind of, as, as a community, rely on like colloquialisms and slang to kind of like frame our understanding of it. So like people like to say, I like to play really aggressive. I like to play teams that are tanky. I like to play um, really you know, conservatively. I like to play for takeouts and stuff. There's all these different things and they don't all like fit into neat categories. There's a lot of overlap. Um, I like it, you know. I I've, I saw a player, somebody in the Discord saying like, I like to play a team that is like aggressive early, but also like tanky, and the, you know this. And they described a couple different things, and they're like, you know, um, and it was like trying to figure out what that play style meant in terms of guild ball and like what team would fit for him was actually like it was really interesting uh, for me to think about and kind of a challenge. Um, and I really think, yeah, I think there's so many dimensions. It's kind of hard. You just, to, you know, Chris, to find it in terms of like liking options and liking, um, yeah, like I, you like toolbox, you know, as it's called toolbox stuff. So you like to have a lot of different options to that you can use situationally throughout a turn. Um, I think that's one aspect of of play style, but like that doesn't necessarily describe to me whether or not you like to be really aggressive and force your opponent to react to you or do you like to play conservatively and, you know, seize on their mistakes. You know, I think there's so many different aspects of play style that um, you one can discuss. Yeah, um, definitely. And so I guess I'm going to throw it to you, Rich, and then I'll, I, so I can coalesce my thoughts. But what, is, what would you 
say like your evaluation identification of your play style is and how if at all that has affected how you approach practicing playing the game etc i yeah so i, I do pr pretty well with aggressive teams and that's pretty much my play style is i have to get up there quick and I don't like for pressure to be on me, so I like to play aggressive teams, get up there and put pressure on the other person, let them run out their clock, uh, let them make mistakes. Um, I I do try to practice a little better with uh, teams that are not aggressive, just because uh, you know at, at some point you just get tired of playing one team, or you just need to you know see see both sides. I think I think you're a better player when you know other teams as well as your own mm -hmm. team so i i'll practice that more i mean I, I still practice with the main team but i do like to see what's on the other side and actually control it rather than you know just being on the other side of it so that's one thing that i know is my issue and one thing that i try to work on um that being said i don't i don't think i can ever play um those slow teams I think I, I, I can play with it to see how, how it is. But as far as being competitive with them, uh, that's that's not my play style. It's it's not fun for me and if Wait, it's what not, would you what would you categorize as those slow teams? I'm I'm interested to see what you're actually so let's slow, talk about it in real Slow terms. teams are more like control teams, um, teams that you just can't push people forward. Uh, so teams like Mortician. So uh, so you're like talking me. about teams that don't directly, um, when you say slow, you're talking about slow in their approach to so, yeah, like slow getting in their a approach. Yeah, pretty much. Because yeah, morti yeah, because morticians are not necessarily slow in terms of their absolute movement values. Um, no, I just mean I, more like like in in how they play their turns. You know what I mean? They they can't just <clears throat> go all, go all in there basically. Yeah, less aggressive. You want more, and you're talking about more controlling, more like indirectness. Um, you know, different. Yeah, like you have to manipulate the uh, board state rather than saying I'm gonna throw a model down your throat or I'm gonna yeah. throw this model over here. What are you gonna do about it? Yeah, I I think that those teams for me, it's more sort of thinking and it's more for me to make a mistake. Uh, more chances for me to make a mistake, are... basically. So when you play engineer, when you finally pick up the engineers from my car, uh, you basically can't play ballista, and you have to play pin vice every time because otherwise you're gonna lose. According uh, yeah, to I... what you just said. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> so the the ballista, you know, sort of beginning of the game is easy to to grind it out, but it does get boring for me, and at some point, I'll start looking for other options, probably earlier than what I should, is is what I mean when it comes to engineers, or if there's anybody else that fits that bill. So, it's it's interesting, yeah, because I actually think, so engineers are obviously a really good control, uh, like range control damage team, um, but I, and I, they can be aggressive in certain ways, but I think they transition in a way, which is why I was saying I've been playing them and I don't like it. I haven't liked it. Um, they're really awkward in transitioning to being aggressive because they require a significant amount of setup and optimal situations. And there's these times where, you know, I'm bombing the enemy and I'm, you know, setting everything out right and making them overextend. 
and I get a situation where it's like, okay, I'm advantaged, but now I have to do something. I have to switch to being aggressive because you can't, I can't keep controlling them the entire game. Uh, at least, I mean, not fully. Like, I can't gunline the entire game. Um, so now I need to start fighting. And I need to set that up, and I need to win. But like, I often find it's like the turn boundaries with Ballista, where it's like, okay, I did a good turn, but now Ballista needs to activate now, or he's in trouble. Um, or, like, you know, and then what do you do? And it's really hard for me to transition. Um, but, yeah, something I've kind of jumping over to my own identification and valuation of my play style, I think it's changed a lot, and it has changes back and forth. Like it, it changes a bunch as I grow in my skill and experience in the game and also what I've been trying and practicing. Um, but I think I definitely started off the game very aggressive and very specifically aggressive in like looking for angles for big plays. So like a shark team, pin vice, I was really good at. I loved filet when she, I mean, even, even now, but like I liked filet back to where she had just the crazy raw damage output in like the you know she wasn't as threatened by counterattacks but still the idea was like i love these big seeing the you know the 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 lines for these big plays big aggressive plays and throwing models like i'm gonna throw shark up there and score a goal i'm gonna throw you know uh fillet up there or pin vice up there score goal kill a model etc um even when i was playing engineers i remember like back in back at the beginning of season three or even I remember when I was um, a little over a year ago I would play games where I remember not taking um, not taking Ratchet and Hoist uh, and playing like this weird all goal scoring team and it was just like super aggressive and just running and such a different play style from where I'm at now so I think since playing Masons and Union um, and then going, trying to go back to engineers and do, I've become, and also playing like a, I think a, at a higher competitive level, um, where I'm, exp- I think a lot of times I approach the game, okay, I'm going to control the board state, not in a like controlling like mortician's way, but like, uh, you know, winning the fight and holding onto the ball. And it's kind of, this is, I'm going to shout out strictly the worst. This is like their, I've transitioned into this more money ball. Like I know what the good plays are. I know what the good odds are. I know how to play like tight and conservatively and the best like path to a safe victory. Um, and sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, I, I do like to like throw some goals out that, you know, uh, early to mid game um, that I don't think everybody does. Some, some of the like very conservative players would hold on to that ball, but Generally, though, I've become a lot more conservative in my play style, um, and thus, I you know, and part of that is playing teams that favor that, but also, um, yeah, I guess also just how I've started seeing the game different. And it's interesting because it makes me really bad. I went back to my engineers, and I was really bad. I felt really bad with them. Um, so I, I played two games. Yeah, the two. I just yeah, I played two games with them the other day with Harriet, who's an awesome model, and I just like it. Just it did not click for me, um, you know. But now I throw, uh, throw, what's it called? Uh, Brewers on the table, and you know, or 
you're still always my union, of course, and I feeling you know excellent, like so at place with them. Um, it make it just makes sense with the way that I play. Now. So that's where I'm I, I'm at. It's very interesting because I've been trying to push myself to be more like aggressive goal scoring, but not even just goal scoring, but more like big plays, less conservative, like a little bit more high, higher risk. Um, but it's hard. <laughs> it's hard for me to go, <laughs> go to that. Yeah. So, um, I think one thing we need to discuss is how do you identify what your play style is? How do you come to these conclusions that this is how you tend to play? So any ideas from um, you guys? Yeah, I, mean, I think for I, me it's just yeah, trial and it. error. It, for me it's just trial and error. It's I've been playing the game long enough to know what works and, and what doesn't work for me. Uh, yeah, I think not, it, not just not just on the board, it. but even when it when it, it turns to the clock. I mean, I don't typically clock out because I play my turns a little fast because uh, I know what my team is capable of. Um, if if I feel like I'm thinking too much, then either I made a mistake or that's not the team for me interesting um yeah i I guess for me i've it's it's kind of just looking at different situations and whether that's practice games or local casual games or even tournament games um if you ever get a chance to be streamed it's a great way to kind of go back and look at your play style but i think um what like i just saw it in the way my games were turning out um at spring fling i think I, i i listened to one of our old episodes um, just to check how bad the audio quality was. I mean, not old episode; it's the spring <laughs> episode. But I just wanted to hear. I wanted to hear what the audio sounded like because I don't always listen to the full episode when I'm editing. Um, but I heard myself talk about the Bet Rage games, and I was just saying, like, yeah, I knew that there was a decent chance they would come in and get the ball and potentially score. But that's what I wanted. Like, I was totally fine with them doing that because then I was going to go put their model down to one health, kill the top of turn two and score a goal like next activation or soon after and then it would be a six to four trade um and now they have a model out for the game like and just the way i was approaching like just hearing myself talk about it in that episode and not from my own like you know not my own internal monologue but like literally what i decided to say out loud and i was like okay yeah that is how i play and to, like that made me think of like that's a really conservative like low variance like a you know a way to approach it um but i mean i I think just talking about your games with your friend and i think the best way to do it for just like the casual you know not casual but just to play the random player who's not like you know um had maybe having stream games or you're just playing locally with your friends your mates um talk about your games afterwards talk about you know how the game went and i mean avoid avoid thinking traps we'll talk more about that but like just try to be like (laughs) Like, oh, I think if I would have, you know, I think I could have made this decision here or this one. And this, I chose this because of this. And maybe it did work out or it didn't work out. But I wonder if I would have chose this, maybe this would have happened. And you just kind of talk. And in talking about it, I think you'll find you start to realize, like, okay, I could have done that. And maybe that would have worked. But this is why I didn't do it. And then you say, okay, now I know that my play style is I prioritized this, you know, over this. Yeah, I think those are really fair. Um, I think another thing that ends up happening that people need to 
try not to do as much is they try to say this is the playstyle I want to play with before uh, they actually get into the game and start playing enough to understand how it goes differently. Because I think they'll like, they like fantasize about this idea. Like, I want to be this tanky team that just sits here and soaks up the damage and then kills them on the counterpunch. And then when you get to really playing into the game, you realize that that doesn't actually work the way you originally thought it did. I think that that's more of a problem in games that aren't Guild Ball where, you know, Guild Ball has that luxury of it's relatively inexpensive to switch your team just out of the blue, you know? It's going to cost you maybe 120 but now with the Faithfuls and all that stuff. And that's, that's just uh, MSRP more or less. But I think... Yeah. You have to just play a variety of guilds, a variety of teams, and then, like, the most important part about that is reflecting upon your games and thinking, okay, so, for and uh, for some reason I can't get this to work, but everybody says it's good. Well, maybe that's your playstyle. Maybe it's, there's just something in the way you evaluate your plays that, for some reason, this style that these other people are playing is not clicking with you and you need to play in a different playing a different approach you know like it comes uh, I think that comes down to a lot of uh one of the benefits of finding out your playstyle is to debate with other people uh the merits of a new player or two different players opposed to each other like should I pick this or this and okay but in this situation they're good at this and this situation they're good at that and which one you value more you know mm-hmm. so Definitely. I think that also brings on to our next point of how do you like what do you decide um, I'm trying to find the words for it but how do you recognize your play style and like adapt to it to make yourself play better. Like whether it be correcting sure. things that are mistakes or accepting that, all right, I'm not going to get full usage out of this kind of ability because I just, that does not click with me, but I can avoid using it in this way. I think what I would say is, um, I guess it depends obviously on what, your play style is and how that uh, you know dictates what what you're going to do with models because it's different for different types of play styles obviously but if you are a player for example who um, doesn't see like long distance angles right so you can't see how you can charge model X bounce off of it twice attack model Y bounce off one more time grab a free ball and then take a shot you shouldn't play fish. Definitely not shark. Like, just right. don't do it. Right? Like, that's an obvious example. But, like, same way for brewers. If you can't plan where your models are going to end, I mean, if you can't throw eight buffs onto Vet Decimate and sit there patiently, um, then... I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but, like, in, in general for brewers, if you, you can't figure out like where your models need to end up where they are threatening for the next turn because you're not super fast and position yourself 
you know, to set up scrums and to keep those scrums going and to not get your models out of position um, easily because you don't have access to repositions or minimally, uh, then you're not going to be successful with brewers, right? Um, you need to, and then if you are, if that's the team you play and you recognize like, uh, like, okay, it's, it's challenging for me to be super aggressive, but I'm playing filet, you need to figure out like, well, how do I play filet in a way that's more, um, you know, uh, can like low variance, you know, control, not controlling, like controlling the, but like controlling the board state. Like, so instead of throwing filet onto this model and, and going for the kill and then trying to go, you know, at the turn boundary and then next turn, go get the goal or another kill or something like that. Okay. Maybe I know I need to take, and this is a great one. Um, then a shout out Alex Botts. Like he, I think, you know, second win from death. He, plays decimate often and butchers and as he's talked about and for him i know he has a very good like control the board state control the fight win it you know like take the moves that that do damage and that deny your opponent from getting anything in return uh like that very conservative approach and i think second wind with that fillet team makes it possible for him to do that without it anytime he would send fillet in you know, you're risking her to, to die because she's going in far. And, you know, despite potentially being a 6-0, she still only has 14 boxes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but if you have second wind, you've now suddenly changed the game. You can go kill a model and run away and force the opponent to then come into you. So he is choosing to play the and the butchers in a more conservative play style, even if he's still aggressive with the way. But, like, overall, he's adapted to the play style. Um, where, you know, another player that might not work for because, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do well with that. They would, they wouldn't know how to handle that and they need to be super aggressive. They can't, they can't do the positioning that you need to, to do, to do that kind of, uh, gameplay. So, um, I think that's, I think that's a, a, like one way to, to think about it. It can be model choices, um. It could be, you know, just put, consider, like how you position models in the game, um, you know, who you choose in your six into what lineups, etc. Anything for you, Rich? No. On. Okay. Definitely not. <laughs> no. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, let's see. For me, I think in adjusting your playstyle, you recognize certain things like for me for example i am terrible at remembering passive abilities that like you don't really trigger but like for example you have miasma's uh six inch aura of minus one tech for disease and you have the mason's all the auras that do stupid supporty things that they do. Mm-hmm. And I can, I cannot, for some reason, I will always forget those until the turn after I needed to use them. And so in that manner, I tend to lean towards teams that avoid having those abilities. So I, ha- I use fish a lot because really fish don't really have too many support 
uh, auras like that. And rats, they really only have miasma, so to say. And so those two are natural fits for me. It's and I think you have to kind of like the the big ones you'll have to identify is your aggression versus conservative, your straightforward versus toolbox, your support versus like super solo styles, and I think those are your big big uh, identifiers for goal scoring. Goal scoring versus takeouts is one. Yeah, sometimes I mean, dicta- that's... dictated you by the team, but but not always. Right. I mean, I think I mean, you have you you tend to have di- uh, two different choices in that within the others. Like you know, you can choose between your straightforward, not too much support uh, fish versus your straightforward, not too much support brewers or butchers. I mean, you know. They're two opposite sides of the coin there. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the team, for sure. I'm thinking, like, Corsair, right. can, you can have the people who bring... You, you can have the Frank style of Corsair, which is literally the grindiest, fightiest Corsair. It doesn't mean he doesn't yeah, yeah. score goals, <laughs> but, like, you know, he's championed Vet Siren for so long, and it's, as far as I know, he's still using it. Um, I haven't checked in with him super recently, but... He was using it night, at the Spring Fling. Yeah, there you go, um, and I'm, I'm sure he used it uh, at the Eastern Canadian Nationals. But yeah, he's a big vet siren and just you know grind the crap out of you, um, Corsair play versus um, the way that I played Corsair. This is back uh, a long time ago, but when I was playing Corsair, I played right, and this was before it was super, I think, as popular. To but regular siren, um, and I would play Sakana and Grayscales like every game. Um, and I would definitely be going for two two, um, and, and I wouldn't. Yeah, no gutter, no uh, Averson greed, which was a huge thing back then. Probably just a mistake because they were ridiculous back in uh, season two. But yeah, I would always play that very much a scoring corsair lineup, and I'd be looking for goals. Um, so there, I think there's it's another consideration. But yeah, I think the most important thing is you find. Most teams can accommodate most play styles pretty well, but there are some that are on certain, you know, parts of the spectrum. Like, if you want a super aggressive team, uh, it's hard to do that in the Hunters. Not that they, they're getting there. They have more options to be aggressive. That Minx is pretty aggressive model. But, like, there's, like, certain parts of those teams' identity is less that. Uh, obviously, Mortician's the same way. You could just play Scalpel all the time. Um, but it's hard because, like, it's a team that's based on controlling. Um, so you have to recognize what fits your playstyle within your team, and then maybe if your playstyle is a certain way that the team is not, uh, you know, ideally set up for. Like, if I'm trying to be conservative, aggressive, uh, money ball and engineers, maybe that's just not, or, or at least, you know that's not going to work out you know, or however, whatever my playstyle is. I really don't know what to call it, but that <laughs> might just not, that might not work out for that team. Um, or if it does work out for the team, how do you play? Like, what's the difference? I mean, it could be a totally different set of models that um, you're, you find yourself playing. Yeah. I think that's a good uh, stopping point on that discussion. Really? 
Yeah. Shall we? Shall we venture into questions? So venturing into questions. Yeah. So we. This is no longer uh, questions from the Wank Dungeon, although there are questions from the Dungeon in there. Uh, we've expanded into Facebook, and then maybe one. I may even expand into Twitter. Uh, God forbid. Um, one day. Uh, I do have an account there. I mean, I have a Twitter account where I too. primarily <laughs> post memes. Uh, I have. <laughs> I have tweeted once at somebody because they owed me an infinity model from a convention and they were ducking me. Um, so I, <laughs> so I was like, Hey bro, where's my, where's my Scarface? Um, anyway, so questions, uh, we'll just kind of, I, I, I guess I have the Facebook ones up, uh, and then you want to go through the dungeon ones afterwards, Chris? I or do you have so. all of them? I, I don't know. I, you have I mean, all I do have all of them. Like right here, yeah. Fine, so. we'll just we'll just go <laughs> through one at a time. Then. You start All right. off with the first one. So, first one is Pete Kane. I've seen a lot of people crying about Vet Decimate. Do you guys think she's too much? No, Des- Vet Decimate is is perfectly fine. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll talk in season four, but she's just fine, <laughs> perfect. Uh, I mean, she's really good. Um, think the reason? I mean, she is obviously like she is as a model too good by herself. That said, in the context of the guild, I think she makes the guild very competitive and good and one of the top tier guilds. But I do not think that she makes brewers um, at the same like level that farmers were in terms of like being significantly above the curve what she does is she brings a team that was dead last in win rate other than i think blacksmiths potentially um and puts them potentially at the top so does it and i think what the issue is it feels bad to have that much um that much power concentrated in um concentrated in one model so should she be looked at if there's a bunch of i mean yeah i think one or two small changes to her as you know once the brewers do get other model buffs in season four would be appropriate so that they don't become a ridiculously good game i mean other a good team or you know depending on how you bring up the rest of the teams it could not matter um but i I think it the main issue people have is it's another one of those situations where there's too much of a a power budget put into one model but I think the over overall amount of power for the Brewers team is in a really good, high competitive place, but not overbearing. I, you're, you're yeah. I, I think she she answered the question. You know, Brewers for a long time had sort of the same questions, um, and I think she came in and she answered them. Of course, she came out recently, and so you know you need to practice against it. You need to figure out how to strategize against it because. This was the issue when season three came out, when everybody was winning with, you know, uh, Shark. Is it season three or season two? Uh, I, I can't remember. Season three yeah. it was really the or when Shark and Midas started dominating. Yeah, so they were dominating, and then sometime later, somebody was like, oh, why don't we just kill the ball? So I think that because she's new and because all these new models, a lot of them, really her, but a lot of them feel sort of overpowered or just, you know, very good right now but i think as time goes on 
people will learn how to play against it and, or you know how to defend against it a little better she is very strong i won't deny that but i don't think she's too much yeah i don't think it by any means breaks the brewers i think it's more about the i think the complaints are more about the uh principle of you know just bringing in a new model that will fix everything all the problems and bring this new guild to a top tier with a almost completely new identity as well and um, so I, I, don't th- I don't know that it changes their identity too much i think it just now their identity actually works because like their identity was we have all these amazing buffs and we put them onto a model or several models and we do all this setup and then once we get going like you kind of can't stop us but the issue was they were too slow slash not um, right mainly too slow but also just like they too easy to invalidate um their setup because of both speed and like counterattacks and you know etc she's just reliable and fast enough that it's like we can put these buffs on a model and our opponents won't just get out of the way because they can't because she threatens forever. <laughs> right. I think I think what I mean is like instead of it being any brewer can accept the buffs is almost like decimate is the one who accepts the buffs and then sometimes you're in a bad place and have to give it to somebody else, you know. But beside the point, I think it's just the principle of releasing this new model that fixes everything until we can season four save us all so uh Um, do i think she's too much in terms of power nah do i think she's too much in terms of how much one single release of one single model can impact the game probably yeah, I mean, the, the biggest issue, I think, for her is the fact that, like, you, there are models that you'll probably never see again on the pitch for um, competitive brewers because, like, they were already a flex picks, and now it's like, well, I'm not not putting Decimate. Um, so that's the biggest issue. It's like your staves and stokers of the world and pine pots of the world are uh, become even more situational. All right, so next question. Uh, How do you think the rapid introduction of more teams and models will change players' results? Will the game become more knowledge than skill-based? I think what they're meaning is, like, so so many character plays requiring you to memorize stuff. Oh, yeah, I mean, just more models coming out. I think he's asking, like, will this benefit people who bet who have the best knowledge of of the models and will that give them a leg up and we'll see like you know people take prominence who are really who have the a really good knowledge as opposed to like i guess theoretical like play skill um but i i guess i i take a little issue with the them being separated i think the majority of skill in the game <laughs> is is the majority of skill in the game is is knowledge um like knowing and knowing and being able to either quickly access or quickly know how to access knowledge in the game, whether that's looking it up or knowing it yourself. Like I don't think you need to necessarily memorize it. Like you have a clock, you have time, um, but like being able to know 
how things work, how things will play out, how stats, like what are the likely things to happen, um, what the options are for you and your opponent. I think that's a big part of skill. Um, yes, there are, I guess there are skill parts that would be theoretically are, you know, agnostic to model uh, stats, like knowing where to put your models, like on the pitch, staying out of a threat range when you don't need to be in it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like measuring correctly so your model can be where it needs to, you know, go where it needs to go. Those are all skills that are important regardless of knowledge, but I think knowledge, you can't take knowledge away from that. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, it, I, think yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you've got each match, you've got six models to know, and you get to, you can always just take a refresher on the first. Uh, before the round starts and just look at the opponent's six models and remember, oh yeah, they have this ability, you know? So I don't think it's, like, I don't think there's too much burden of knowledge right now, you know? I don't think it's gonna get too bad, and I don't know if it really uh, could be. I don't think so. I mean, they're, they're, you kind of, you know, the, the way people play this game is a lot of people like to play, you know, top, when you get to the top end, is people sort of play the team that are highest on the power curve you know what i mean so when when you're you know playing like mike or like you guys uh, you know you'll see a lot more fish you'll see a lot more union a lot more engineers those top tier teams and i'm not saying that the lower the lower tier or the the people who aren't as good won't you know that they won't see those teams or that the uh there'll be just more teams at that level but i think that the better you are at the game the less you have to worry about playing against you know every team at least for now though the state that the game is in um okay i mean i think you will have to i think every team is they're so close together like between the lowest and the top i think everything is worth knowing how to play i I just i guess i don't i recognize that this may be me speaking from my perspective which is not necessarily representative of everybody but i feel like if you have um I don't have a ton of actual gaming time. If anybody has more gaming time, and many people I know do, like literally every UK player plays in like 18,000 tournaments within a month. Uh, I mean, just kidding. But like even if they <laughs> they play, but they play like their casual local tournament is 32 players and they get to interact and talk about and play four or five rounds of Guild Ball on a given weekend where that just doesn't happen by us. Um, but like you have that time. You can see enough and if you just make little efforts like if you if you're in the car listen to podcasts if you take public transportation open up you know a guild ball app and look at some playbooks it doesn't take that long to memorize enough to be familiar with things like you don't you may not know every exact thing but you'll like if you look at the vet sakana card 10 times you'll know that he has two character plays and one is a tackle uh, a fancy you know pseudo tackle and one speeds players up and slows players down that's all you need to know like you can figure out like whether it's a pulse or not like by looking at the card at the time of the game but like you can you know (laughs) you can get the basics right so uh yeah i guess that's one's answered uh if then so next question uh jared mcgraw if the game store has a sign stating no shirt no shoes no service do you have to wear pants while playing Vet Decimate? Um, if you, <laughs> the, 
this is going to be a somewhat of a, a of a, a gender slash sex based. Uh, based uh, sorry, not a gender based. It is actually it is a sex based. If you possess um a, if you possess male genitalia, um and you know um uh, you are sexually excited by very powerful models that take buffs really well. Um, you should probably wear pants, baggy pants, when playing Vendas. <laughs> uh, follow up. Moving on. Would a skirt or kilt count as pants? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I would, it works. It works. It, it works I for think, the Scots. I think. I think a kilt is is good instead of baggy pants if that's your thing. Kilts are pretty heavyweight wool, man. Like they'll. I don't know. Like I, they count as pants. Um, but yeah, wear wear pants to the game store, please. <laughs> Regardless, like of who you are or how excited you are about uh playing vet decimate. Uh, <laughs> JS, uh, how funny will it be for the navigators to be delayed due to ship carrying them being lost? Uh, in reference to the recent uh, Falconers debacle of uh, the freighter being delayed is somewhere obviously they didn't pay the navigators guild to get them there on time uh, I, th- I think at this point we should just expect everything to be delayed uh, you know like the metal ones are on time um but Ooh, <laughs> and I, honestly I, I honestly honestly ra- rat catchers were literally on time they just didn't arrive at adepticon but I'm very excited for navigators, so don't get your hopes up, guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. I'll skip down a few and then come back. Um, my life with dice. Who wins in a bar fight? Hammer or tapper? Mm. Mm. Um, how drunk is tapper? I, don't know, I think man, like if like... they're... If they're both bla- if if they're both blackout drunk, I think Tapper, I think Tapper wins. wins can- yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah. But like, if they're sober or like they haven't had an, a ton to drink, I think Hammer brings it out. <laughs> okay. Um, I think there was that Alex. But, yeah, Alex Cooper, who wins in a bar fight from Anatomical Precision. So Rich has both the the strength, uh, weight, and. Um, Reach, <laughs> oh yeah, reach, yeah, yeah. Uh, advantage. So I think he is a good front runner. Um, I, I wear glasses. I'm dead last. <laughs> I mean, I I also sometimes er, and sometimes do often wear glasses. Um, but I mean, I do have contacts. But yeah, I know. I I don't know. I I fight pretty dirty. Dirty. I took uh, like a year of Krav Maga, so I would be going straight for the balls. <laughs> So literally right. every uh, <laughs> every every tactic in Krav Maga, just for anybody who, who doesn't know it, is you know it's how to survive, like you know, like fight for your life. And every tactic is yeah, it's like eyes or pun- balls always. It, it's eyes or balls. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's like <laughs> twist their arm and then punch them in the balls. Twist their arm and then elbow them in the nose, elbow them in the eyes or something, and then kick them in the ball. Like everything ends with a ball. Kick. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the best. <laughs> All right, so back to serious questions. Zach Cohen, what changes would you like to see in Season 4? Um, minimal changes to base game. I'd like They can clean up the language, but I don't want 
and there will be other questions about this, but I don't want major changes in like how the core game works. I don't want crazy new rules added that um, like shift things up. We'll talk. We'll talk about like with ball killing and stuff like that. If there is any ball killing thing, I'd like it to be more organic and just more encouraged by um, just I, like the way teams interact rather than than like some like forced rule that says like you must touch the ball to this point and do this thing at this point otherwise you are fouled because that's not how soccer works you can hold the ball in soccer for the entire game and that's literally what teams do kick back forth back forth back forth oh cool now it's time to go score a goal we'll do it like but it takes like 10 minutes for them you know the good teams kill the ball in soccer for a long time. Anyway, I'm getting distracted and ranting. Um, I want to see model buffs. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I agree with that. Model buffs season four, definitely want to see them. Obviously buffs and nerfs, um, but also I think a little bit of cleanup on things that are, you know, a bit like you'll play them these rules wrong for months, you know? And you'll, such as, like, kicking a ball to open space, you know, you measure from the edge of your base to the center of the ball token. And same with the scatter. You measure from the edge of the ball token to the center of the ball token. You know, it it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when in the rest of the game it's, like, edge, you know, measure from the front to the front. But um, things like that, I can imagine those get cleaned up. And, uh, I don't know, just save us all. Like, <laughs> I, I think season four is going to be great. Like, they, the, I imagine they'll throw in some new rule, and it'll be met to mixed mixed applause. Uh, and then we'll all adjust to it, because that's how we do as competitive gamers, and forget all about it, just like tap-ins. Uh, not being a standard thing in season two. Yeah, I just forget about that. <laughs> yeah, so I guess the follow-up question was what your current opinion on ball co- killing, and do you think for season four, Steam Forge will imp- implement ways to discourage ball killing, and suggest a rule suggest uh, have a rule suggestion for each of us with me going last? But I already broke that by going first. But do you guys have any specific? How would you handle it? Um, and I guess if you have a current uh, opinion on ball killing, I think there could be an interesting way to make a ball killing rule, but I'm not a I'm not a games designer, so I don't really uh, have that on hand right now to think of. Um, I don't know. Whatever, Steamforge has been doing a pretty bang up job. I'm happy with them. Go ahead, Rich. I want to I want to hear you out. Uh, I mean, I sort of agree with Chris. Like, I don't, I don't really have uh, a solid idea. I believe um, the Falconers release pack had something interesting uh, for like a game rule, just strictly for that. Uh, I can't remember what it was at the moment. Uh, I mean, I'm sure they can design something to to do it, but I don't have any sort of input on it. Nothing wor- uh, worth um. saying that means anything. Mm. I mean, I think, like, for the most part, ball. Ki- I mean, ball killing is part of the game, and it like literally is required 
in the game. Like, you have to have options to kill the ball. Otherwise, the team that scores better pretty much wins the game. Because if you have to keep the ball alive at all times of the game, then, um, then yeah, then you're going to probably lose if you can't score as quick as your opponent. Or you're definitely disadvantaged. Um, I think what they may want to find a way to address is the like extreme ball killing where someone will take the ball put it on a on brisket one put her in cover that on like near the edge of the you know like all the way right in front of their their line um and like literally try to take the ball out of the game completely um i think they're already doing that through model releases having models with ways to pick up free balls, ways to tackle at range, better tackles, better ball uh, retrieval, I think is a, a really good way to address that for the most part. If they, if I had to suggest a rule, I think it, the best I can think of would be that if, the, if you have the ball on a model, it has to, um, like, it has to, uh, by the end, at some point, it has to get above, beyond halfway point i've heard that be um that be uh proposed i think that's okay i don't think that really i mean that solves like putting it back towards the edge but you could also just put it towards the opponent's edge or drop it off of your model so like it'd be hard to kind of i don't know it's hard to penalize killing the ball without forcing you to like abnormally do weird things when you do have the ball that seem like i don't know stupid <laughs> um so we'll see what the, well i so my yeah my rule would be the halfway line make the ball killing at least be like towards your opponent's side or force you to like kick it or leave it uh loose for them next okay uh do you think high level tables that take uh that vet sakana will be 90 percent taken over regular sakana and yeah, that, that's a no. good question, dude. <laughs> no. Like, uh, I think for me, yeah, probably. Um, but I think it's going to come down to each individual fish player's play style, you know? That's that's really the core of that issue. Yeah, we, talk, we talked about it um, already, but, like, I, I would prefer... The more I think about it, the more I would prefer Osaka, uh, original Sakana except if there are like certain circumstances where i need like a not tackle tackle and like a range one like so against maybe a friday or against um you know a, a velocity or something like that uh it could be really useful but i think a lot of the time i just love the fact that you could just park somebody him in cover and threatened 10 you know what 12 inches and have a momentous dodge on one um so yeah i think right. it will be I think it will be very much a playstyle thing. I think um, it could depend on what guilds fish are often not often playing against because you can play against anything, but like what the other pop like big ones like big challenging matchups they have to figure out is. So if like, but if you know brewers is the big thing that fish need to figure out how to deal with, I think that Sakana might be in a really good spot for for them. Um, I haven't, you know, played it or seen it played, but like that, that would be my original thought. So maybe if in that case, yeah, you'll see a lot of that because 
Sakana if fish players are finding themselves running into a lot of Bruins. Okay. So um, I had a question that was it was vague. They wanted me to talk about uh, rats. I asked for uh, more specifics. Uh, and basically, uh, they asked, how do I prefer to use Squeak? How often am I playing a 3-0 team? Or do I usually go for 2-2 and 4-1? I definitely aim for a 4-1. Sometimes 2-2 happens, like if I'm playing against a really... Uh, heavy hitter team like Union. Um, sometimes 6-0 happens when I'm playing against a goal team, but I think it's a flex from 4-1. Uh, 3-0 is going to be a rarity, and I think it's more likely to happen with three t- three takeouts, zero kills. Or zero uh, goals. Uh, <laughs> now, how do I prefer to use Squeak? <clears throat> well, as uh, JS's question is, What's the worst mascot in the game, and how will Season 4 save Squeak? Uh, I don't. Uh, I've used him exactly two times where he's actually been useful, and that has been running to the opposite side of somebody and then having the tag-along work so that he can get uh, in range of this opponent to give me another gang-up. Because, you know, that opponent managed to be within 5 inches of Squeak's amazing jog stat. Um, how will it save Squeak? Uh, oh, the other time I uh, used a Dreadful Shriek on Rage to get him towards the edge where Tapper, uh, where Piper failed to push him off. Um, needing two double pushes over his stack. Um... How will it save Squeak? I don't know. Give him a plus one to all his stats, maybe. Like, <laughs> it's it's really like <laughs> he's Squeak, a Squeak four is a two Squeak. mascot. <laughs> Squeak. Okay, not not every set, but you know what I mean. Uh, Squeak has an has an awesome uh has a lot of awesome abilities, but he is on a uh, he's like on a rusty chassis of like pure garbage and Mountain Dew bottles. And like is it's just uh it's so hard to actually use Squeak in an effective manner because he's so slow and so easy to kill. Mm-hmm. Um what shade have, of pastel oh, go for it. Okay, go ahead. Go nope, you. Alright, um so two questions here. One from uh Pete from Rage Quit Wire was was uh Chris the inspiration, uh, the other host of Rage Quit Wire, one of the other hosts of Rage Quit Wire, the inspiration for the Thinking Trap episode. Um, no, although I do feel like I was trying to reach out and, uh, you know, have an intervention for him through the audio, through the airwaves. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, that was not the, the inspiration. The inspiration was literally that I've been that I talk to my kids about this stuff all the time, so uh, it was on my mind. And I was like, how do we turn that into content? Content. Um, <laughs> and then a related question was uh, from Alex Johnson. He said he liked our podcast on Thinking Traps. He, do you have any advice for people who keep falling for them? Um, well, he briefly touched upon some advice. I mean, the biggest advice that I can say is, A, be aware. Like, the first step is be aware that you are, like, analyze, like, your thinking in that moment and be like, okay, I am making... I, or I may be falling for a thing trap right now. Um, 
And then my second, or my other, is to use good active coping skills. So deep breathing, um, mindfulness. There's a bunch, and I would love to. I realized in my last one, I, um, even though we had a really good positive uh, it, feedback from that episode, I feel like I, I was complaining that I feel like I didn't even do it justice for um, explaining it. Um, but there's so much more I could talk about, but like, look up active coping skills. There's phone apps, um, that I can recommend, uh, breathe to relax, headspace, calm, uh, et cetera. There's a bunch if you look them up, but basically anything that, you know, it be, you know, anal- like be aware of the mistakes that you might be making, like call yourself out on them figure out is this helping me right now and then figure out what you need to change in the way that you're thinking um help yourself to calm down when you're get when you feel you're getting like emotionally you know invested or or physiologically just you start seeing yourself get um uh you know stressed out anxious etc um and be and i think the biggest part of this is be present and that's what mindfulness is it, the idea of mindfulness um if for people who don't know what it is, is the idea of being like aware of what's going on around you, like in the moment, being in the moment. If you've ever heard of that, you know, living in the moment. But it's like literally using your senses and be like, okay, I'm in a game store right now. I'm playing this game. What's going on around me? Like if you've ever, you know, been playing a game and I'm prone to do this, like I'm playing a game and you're so tense and so into it, you forget that like you're getting phone calls, you're getting text messages, um, you know, people are asking you questions there's you know you haven't eaten in a couple hours like there's so much that you can forget about because you get so focused and sometimes so stressed out you know even in in a positive way even if it's positive stress you're enjoying yourself but you're like really invested you can kind of like just not be really aware of what's going on around you so step back be aware of that be aware of what you might be you know traps you might be falling into um and then you know navigate your way around them so, if you'd like to hear me speak more about this, uh, <laughs> message me, and I will talk to you for two minute too long. So, <laughs> all right, uh, better mascot, Flask or Naja? Let's keep this one quickie. Naja. Uh, for for me, I prefer Naja, but I don't play Alchemist, so I don't really even know. Um, I think probably nausea right now um to i mean super survivable for a mascot two inch reach is nice you don't really need it to do anything i mean flask makes cover which is nice but it's not as useful for like you know for vitriol as it used to be um i i think either one is fine but i i like nausea for the extra crowd outs you can get all right best gaming food go ahead guys uh, it's this qu- clarifying question best what do we want to do best gaming food isn't like best food to have in terms like while you're gaming for like enjoyment like or best gaming food isn't like what's going to help you get through a tournament like you know and and feel good and, and have energy and whatnot two different completely different answers your call man <laughs> it's not specific I don't. I don't think I need to answer this question. Everybody should know uh, at this point. <laughs> so Rich defaults to hamburgers. All right. Um, Go ahead, me, Chris. 
I don't know. Uh, trail mix. You heathen. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Mike fruit. is going to say something like A- tacos. A- oh, really? Fruit. No, well, no, apples or bananas. This is for health. Uh, this is my, like, uh, if you want to get through a don't, day. Don't without... specify. It's just the best. <laughs> Fine. It is, that is the best. And you, I want fruit and a pizza pizza. Pizza pizza. <laughs> All right, and then we got two last quick ones. What shade of pastel? Oh, there's, pink? there's much more than two. Oh, there's much more. Yeah, hmm. but go ahead. We got. All right, what shade of pastel pink best res- represents nihilistic hatred? <laughs> uh, I think this is in re- response to me painting my uh, rat catchers uh, very pastel pinks and oranges and stuff. Um, probably aim for that starburst pink, like. The strawberry flavored one. That's probably the best. Uh, uh, question for throw you, a question Chris. At me. Uh, has okay. Chris, have has Chris finally watched Kindergarten Cop? No. What? I haven't. Dude, uh, I don't even know if that's on a streaming service. Like, <laughs> they, it's gonna be such a high quality buy that nobody wants to pay out the like royalties for it. I think I think the issue is at this point they've expected everybody in the world to see it, so like <laughs> they're they're kind of confused as to what's going on. Like, yeah, yeah, I think you need to buy cable and then wait for like one of those like movie marathons, and you know if you don't have cable already. Um, I don't know. Nope. We're millennials. We don't have cable. Yeah, I know. We're we don't have cable. <laughs> um, yeah, and like do one of those movie marathons, like an Arnold movie marathon. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. There's one or two more uh, questions. Ooh, Take this might out. be too big. For... All right. Lon Sims asks us, Freeform, when and why you play your outs? Does anybody actually understand? I, I have an idea, but I'm not quite sure what he means by this. Yeah, I don't know what that means. I'm pretty sure play your outs is just a way of saying, like, you're totally losing this, but you, you play it anyway. You you play even though you're gonna lose the game, or you like try to find it, like you play like or you mean like playing a, a play thing in that a way that try to win. Right, play in a way that'll help you that will let you win in case they totally like sure. just like dice crap on them for the rest of the game. Gotcha. I I think the only thing I could think of is if like if I find I lose a fight, start losing a fight. Um, sometimes, you know, if I have the, my guild has the capability to do it, it will be like that. Okay, I could keep throwing myself into this, but I will let me just stop dedicating resources towards losing this game in this in this scrum or in this fight. Let me go throw models like around, just run all my models backwards, reset, maybe go get the ball, try to get a goal, um, and just see what happens from there. Like, let me just stop doing whatever I'm doing and do the opposite and see if that helps yeah i think for me it's that you just you play it unless like you keep playing the game and an attempt to win unless you're just having such a bad time that you might as well just scoop and like collect your thoughts and cool off for next round yeah uh and then uh, anything to add rich um no, I mean, uh, I would try 
not to scoop because anything can. I mean, anything can happen. Uh, yeah. I, I really yeah. don't like scooping. I, I think I've done it once, maybe. No, I don't think so. Even even when I'm like sleeping at the table, I still don't scoop. Uh, but right. sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> okay. When when I'm losing, I just take a nap. How's that? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Who has a better beard, Richard, uh, Rich or Ox? Mm, I don't know. Schlegel doesn't remember. He's seen me like twice in two years. <laughs> uh, I have to say, Vet Ox's beard is better than you. It has a ponytail. <laughs> or whatever that. that's actually called. It has like, yeah, the like soul patch is like a long and it has like a little metal thing holding it together. But you're, you're close. Braid. Braid, sure. <laughs> um, and let's see. I think last uh most underrated guild um we don't know there's so many models coming out everybody's everybody's <laughs> over and under tuned <laughs> <laughs> all right with that i think that's an episode yeah that's yeah, an episode <laughs> all right catch you guys later <laughs>